everyone. Welcome to Real Talk Therapy, where two therapists chat about the world of mental health, the things we see, and what it's actually like to be on our side of the couch. I'm Kate. And I'm Nushin, and we are licensed therapists who specialize in eating disorders, but have opinions about so much more. Hey, Kate. Hey, happy Friday. Happy Friday. How are you feeling? Pregnant AF, but good. <laughs> That's good. I know you're you're um in the tail end of it all, huh? I know. I'm so close. I have like two months left, basically. So oh girl, you just wait. That last month is torture. It's like, get this thing out of me. <laughs> She's I'm, cooked. <laughs> like that's how I was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I'm there. So I'm a little worried that like it's gonna get worse because um <laughs> I still have two months left and I feel that way already. We are excited to be recording today. Um, We're going to be talking about sports fandom, and we have a special guest with us, and we will be introducing her in a minute. Um, But Kate, I just wanted to share with you that my daughter, my seven-year-old, we're going to like this raft night at our pool today, and it's you like bring rafts because you can't do that all the time. And she like came in with her fake American Girl doll because I won't spend money on the real ones. And she's like, mommy, I want to make a raft (laughs) for my American Girl doll. So she literally is downstairs right now with like a piece of cardboard. And I think my husband's helping her like make a little raft for her doll with duct tape too. And they just went outside and I really hope it works. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see. I just thought it was super cute. We'll see how she does in the pool with her raft and her doll's raft. But it was just so funny. That's like a modern take on, remember in like, science classes and physics classes and stuff when you'd have to like make an egg carton thing and you drop it out a window yes that's what the kids are doing but like for fun and for a good reason <laughs> did you have to have an egg in the egg carton too yeah yeah. To prove it. yeah yeah um so we have sarah crossley with us today she is an associate with us at empowering you and we thought she would be an awesome person to have on because she totally is a sports fan and I will let her introduce herself and share all the things about her sports fandom. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. We're so happy to have you here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Yeah. So as Nushin said, I definitely would consider myself a super fan, specifically around the Buffalo Bills. So I grew up outside of Buffalo, a little bit south of Buffalo before moving down to Maryland for grad school and staying in Maryland for licensure and starting work at Empowering You. So tell us like more around, well, actually, no, we're going to go a different direction. Kate, do you consider yourself a super fan? Yeah. Well, I would say a super fan as far, honestly, as far as like female fans go, like I don't, I'm not as crazy as some like guys that I know, but like, and you know what? I'm, as I'm thinking about, it, I'm like walking my answer back because I think my husband would be like, "No, you're not." So I don't know. How do we? How are we even defining superfan right now? So Sarah and Kate have done some preparatory reading for this pod. I was like, "I can't do it, guys. This is all you. I'm just here along for the ride." So how would you guys define what a superfan is? I think I think Sarah's like pulling up a definition from her book. <laughs> yes, I love it. It's an open, open book test. <laughs> While she's pulling up, I will say that I think sports fandom can be split into so many different kinds of fans. 
And part of the reason that we thought it would be interesting to talk about was because for Sarah and I, sports fandom is a really big part of our lives that like we don't really talk about much with clients because it's not really relevant, except with male clients. It's like great um, bonding. Um, but typically my female clients like don't really care. Uh, we talk about Bravo, obviously. Um, but then Sarah and I both started looking into sort of the psychology behind it. And we both found it really interesting because of the ways in which sports tie into people's lives. Um, and so there's some fans that are like these super fans that know everything about their team, you know, live and die by every play. And then, which I will say is not me. Um, and then there's people that are like big fans and like watch all the games, but like maybe don't know all the ins and outs of like everything happening, which I think I've been, I've been there. Um, and then I think there's some fans that are more casual. And then I think there's some that will watch it if presented or watch like the Super Bowl. Got it. So that's that's kind of how I'm thinking of it. Sarah, what are your thoughts? I would definitely agree. So in the book that I was using, uh, they use the major differentiation between sports fans and sports spectators. So, okay, just like you said, that idea of somebody who's going to a game because they got a free ticket or somebody watching the Super Bowl because someone's throwing a party would be a sports spectator as opposed to somebody who very invested in the team knows, you know, the history or the players doesn't miss a game would fall much more into the super fan category. I like that you brought up the spectator element because a, that's a much more succinct way of putting what I said. And B I feel like we see that a lot with our clients, actually. It's because we work in the eating disorder world. So it's like people going to sporting events or Super Bowl parties or watch parties or whatever. And we clinically are dealing with the food element of like, well, I really want to have a hot dog at the ballpark, but my eating disorder says no. And so I feel like we see more from the spectator side of things, people wanting to enjoy the experience, which I love. I think food is a very important part of sports watching. Um, but we're focusing less on the sports as in what we do and more on like that spectating element. I'm I'm just here to say that I'm always about the food. Like if we go to a sporting event, I'm like, where are the funnel cakes? I don't want just a boring hot dog. Like, let me get some brisket or whatever. Um, you know, what's another thing that I find interesting specifically about the area that we're in. So we're in the DMV. We have, you know, the Baltimore sports, we have DC sports, and then we have all the people, for example, Kate and Sarah, who are not from this area, and they come in with their fandom as well. And so it's really interesting because when you do go to local games, whether you're supporting the Baltimore Ravens or the Orioles or the Washington Redskins. And yes, I'm saying Redskins because I am a Redskins fan and I just can't say commanders. So I apologize if that offends anyone um, or a Nationals fan. But when you go to these games, like it's really rare that it is filled with the fans of those teams. And I, I mean, I do think because, well, except for this year, the Orioles are doing amazing. Um, like we've just never had really good teams at least since like the 80s or 90s like my husband could probably quote all that um and the washington capitals i mean they did really well for a long time and i remember going to those games but 
I would definitely define myself as a spectator. Um, when I was younger, and so one of the things I think we talked about on our social media, or we brought up as a question was, do you consider yourself to be a sports fan? 61% people said yes, 28% said no, and 11% said I used to, but life got in the way. I would be that last one because when I was younger, when I didn't have a lot of responsibility, um, and I, my husband and I also connected on being fans of the Redskins and went to games. And I was, I watched all their games. I knew all their players. I had fantasy football teams. I, I did all of that. Um, I also loved going to Orioles games, Nationals games, not so much. And so I would say I'm a fan of those two teams, but as I've gotten older and KU and I've talked about like our age difference and like different stages in our lives. And so I married and I have two kids and definitely on the older end, like it's hard to make space for that because unless you are a super fan and you're like, I'm going to be sitting in front of the TV at one o'clock on Sunday, watching the Redskins play other stuff just like gets in the way. Like whether your kid wants to watch freaking Carly, whatever, these like shows that are like everywhere. I don't even know, like on Nickelodeon or Disney. Granted, we have more than one TV in the home, but it does definitely shift things. And it's like, or I'd rather go do X instead than watch the Redskins lose again. So I also am curious because the two of you um, and Kate, I don't think you said specifically who you're a fan of. You guys have good teams, too. So it's like easier to stay on board with a team that's doing well versus teams that like just shit the bed every now and then or all the time really if we're talking about the redskins so yeah the redskins suck um and i you know it's interesting sarah i'm curious to get your take on this because i'm from the boston area grew up boston sports everything and so i've never had the experience like nushin you were talking about when you go to like a football game and it's not all fans of your home team like I've never been to Fenway Park and have it be majority opposing team fans. And so I came down here and like I would go to like a Red Sox Orioles game and it was more Red Sox fans than Orioles, which like obviously I loved. But I was looking at my husband. I was like, what is this? And like sports radio down here is different than it is in Boston. Like in Boston, it's like if you don't win, like there's no conversation. And like Redskin sports radio is like, Let's be average. <laughs> like, what is this? So I don't know if that's something you experienced too, Sarah, like having such a strong affiliation in your hometown area and then coming down here and being like, this is so different. I would definitely agree with that. I think um, part of like what Nushin was sharing about being in the area and having like all of these different team options to support. I think a big difference in terms of like the Buffalo Bills fan base is if you're growing up anywhere, you know, west of Albany, Syracuse area, then you're most likely going to be a Buffalo Bills fan, just speaking geographically, because they are the only team that actually plays in New York, just saying. And so it ends up being a pretty... They're throwing shade. (laughs) Sorry. It's true. Anyways, so I think just kind of having that... um, being very unifying within the geographic area. So then it is very different to to come to this area. And I know too, um, 
I know certain fan bases really pride themselves on being traveling fan bases. So ones that, you know, will go to those away games or where they might have a lot of fans who have been displaced. So I know, for example, in, in Baltimore, they have a great Bills backers organization, which is all Buffalo Bills fans who get together to watch games every Sunday. So, um, so Sarah, for you and Kate, and either of you can answer this, let's talk more around like, what does, you know, being a super fan, like, why, why are people super fans? What, what are they getting out of that? I think it's, and this kind of goes to sort of what we'll really be focusing on today, that for Sarah and I, what we found and we can relate to and we'll talk about is the sense of community that comes out of being a sports fan, especially a super fan, the way it ties into your identity. And then there's usually some other kind of motivation for loving the team that you choose. And actually, I'll save that comment for later because I have some strong opinions about like Cowboys fans. I do too. They're horrible. (laughs) Sorry if any of you listening are Cowboys fans, but I'm sure you can appreciate it knowing that I'm a Redskins fan. (laughs) See, okay, I guess I'll just say my comment now. My thing is that I feel like I've met so many Cowboys fans over the the course of my life. None of them are from Texas. They're just like, oh, I grew up watching them. Some people will have like family affiliations. Like, oh, my dad was a Cowboys fan. So I am. And it's like, okay, fine. I'll let that go. But for the people that are like, I, I... just really like them. I've always liked them. I'm like, what? This is like a fake fan base. I just don't get it. Okay. That's all. That was a little bit of a rant. I just can't. Um, so wait, so Sarah, when it comes to your super fandom of the bills, what is the most important element of it for you? That's definitely a, a hard one because it does feel like so many of them, like those motivations are pretty intertwined. I would say for me, it, it feels like community is is the driving force. It feels like there is a lot of connection when you are like a part of like that fan base or a fan base that has a reputation for being, you know, a little more intense. So like you have Bills Mafia, you have 12s for the Seattle Seahawks, you got Raider Nation or Dog Pound. So all of these fan bases that really pride themselves on on being that community. And kind of as as you were saying and as i mentioned earlier i know moving down here being able to connect with other bills fans was a great way to kind of adapt and and not feel so alone because when i did move down here i didn't know anybody in the area i had a really similar experience moving down here where i knew my sister and she was in college at the time so she like didn't want to hang out with me obviously um and i knew some people through friends of friends from the Boston area. And so we would go and we would go to this now closed, so sad bar in DC. That was like a Pat's bar. And it was like, so comforting to be there and having people like some people still had like remnants of their accents and there'd be like a Gronkadilla, which is like a quesadilla basically, you know, but it was like that kind of thing. It was just so comforting and be and moving. I was like leaving Massachusetts for the first time and having like a fan base down here that like gets it just felt so good. I think too, what you mentioned about the food, like a Gronkadilla, I think that's a huge part too, where like at the Bill's Backers bar that we like to go to, they have like pizza logs, which I didn't really realize was like a Buffalo thing. 
um, beef on whack, like all the traditional Buffalo food. So it was also really nice to get a taste of home being so far away. Do they have, what are they called? Garbage plates? Yes. They don't have them there, but garbage plates are a a upstate staple. (laughs) What's a garbage plate? I'm like picturing like a tin, the top of a tin garbage can, like covered in nachos or something. Am I right? (laughs) I mean, you're not too far off. It is a dish that's like originally from Rochester. And so generally it's, the name does it justice. So it's often like, like you got fries or tater tots in there. You have some sort of meat, you have some sort of like sauce on top. You've got cheese, you got it all. So you can also very much personalize them. Yum. That sounds amazing. So when we kind of go back to like this idea of community identity that sports fans or super sports fans are getting. Can you guys give our listeners just some more examples of maybe why it's going more in the sports realm and maybe not some other parts? Because there are other ways that we can be like other communities, right? Um, Whether it's a church or a school or um, other organizations. Um, So I'm curious, like your thoughts on that. One of the things that I read in preparation for this session um, it was this book called Super Fans um, Into the Heart of Obsessive Sports Fandom by journalist George Dorman, who actually interviewed the guy whose book Sarah read in preparation, coincidentally, for this. Um, and he talked a lot about how, you know, forever people in this country would have a really strong connection to like their church or to a, like, I don't know different clubs in their town. And especially on the religion front, that is very much decreased over the past like 20 or 30 years. And when you think about, especially with the NFL and it being on Sundays, like there is there like a religious element to the rituals that people have around game day. And so I think sports has become this place where people with different backgrounds, you know, different demographics all come together to root for one team together. And I don't know that you get that anywhere else. And some other like common motivators, it sounds like too, like, you know, your family, um, or even if it's a sport that someone played when they were younger, I think there's also like this adrenaline rush, right. That we get, like when you're watching your team, like approach the goal line and they're just nailing play after play after play, it's like really exciting. It's a celebration. Um, so there, there are so many. I think positive sides to the sports fandom, whether you're a spectator or a super fan. Let's kind of talk about maybe some of the bad sides of sports fandom. And we have some questions that some of our listeners sent in, but I'm curious, Sarah and Kate, for you guys, like what are maybe some of the negatives of having this like extreme passion for our team? Well, I can certainly say that one of the maybe downsides is when it causes a little bit of interpersonal conflict. Um, So for example, my fiance is a huge Jets fan. And so Jets and Bills and Pats are all in the same division in the NFL. So they play each other a couple times every year. And that can get a little tense. Can I just say, (laughs) Kate's face right now. 
So for those of you that have listened before, you guys know that we do this via Zoom. So it's great that we can see each other and do this. But like as Sarah's like drop in the jets and the bills, she's like this face of like disgust because <laughs> they're in the same division, which I would do the same thing if we were talking about the Eagles or the Cowboys, the Giants I'm OK with. But um I just, I it was, I was, I'm like laughing so hard. <laughs> I would say we're all being on our best behavior right now. <laughs> but I, I can like respect the Bills like as a team. I don't respect the Jets. I just can't. I literally can't. So I feel for you, Sarah. I really do because I would have a hard time with that. Maybe we can all hate the Dolphins. Oh, but they're the dolphins, and I love dolphins in general. They're beautiful animals. I can't hate the dolphins. The sports spectator right here. Yeah, I know. You're based on the animal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know what? Don't hate. Um, Kate, what are your thoughts on, like, some of the negative sides to being an extreme sports fan? I would say the heartbreak. And this was something that we were talking about before we came on about, you know, how tough people take losses. I think for me, the worst, worst for me was when the Pats had an undefeated season, then they lost in the Super Bowl. I was like pissed off for days. I was so upset, especially because I was talking like a ton of shit to people at college because a ton of people from college were New York, New Jersey, and they lost to the Giants. So I was talking so much shit and then they lost and I like couldn't show my face. I was like distraught about it. And I think no pain will ever hurt like that. No, no game's ever going to amount to how much pain that was. So that's good for me, I guess. I have this like very high threshold now. But I think for a lot of people, they get really upset when their team loses. And there's a part of me that gets it. And there's a part of me that feels like there needs to be like a 24-hour rule. Like you have 24 hours to be pissed off and sad and like whatever. And then you have to move on. I wanted to just add one other thing, Kate, as you were talking, and it's just going back to something we were talking about earlier. I do think like the shit talking is like a fun part of the camaraderie or, or the sports fandom, because like, when else can you talk shit to someone for the most part? And people just take it lightly, you know, like you can't do that in any other place in your life without people probably being super offended. And yeah, there are some people that would be like, whatever. And like, they get all in their feelings, but like, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing to talk, think about. Like my husband and I were both Redskins fans, both Orioles fans, but like, we have a lot of friends that are Ravens fans, um, Eagles fans, Giants fans. And yeah, you just like, back in the day when we used to watch games, we would just like text them and be like, oh, you guys are going down. Oh, you guys suck. Or for like where we're And, you know, it's just, it was a, it's a fun part of it too. Like that, even if you're not on the same team, like there's still the sense of community when you're watching a game um, with a friend that maybe is on the other side. But so going back to these negative parts. So one of our listeners asked us a question around you know, how do you deal with a spouse that takes team's losses so hard? They're in a bad mood for days. It ruins the energy in the home. And they've tried all these different things like ignoring them, getting mad, shaming them, and none of it works. Um, I have a lot of thoughts around this, but I'm really curious what you guys think about that question um, slash comment and kind of maybe some feedback for this person. 
I don't know. I have to think, Sarah, what are you, what are your thoughts? Um, also trying to think and putting it together. Um, I think a, a big piece that could be helpful is, is that idea of validation. So I know in the book that I read, so sports fans, psychology of social psychology and social impact of spectators by Daniel Wan, um, talked a lot about how there's a lot of protective factors for super fans when they are winning. So higher self-esteem, sense of belonging, excitement. However, there are also some psychologically unhealthy things happening when there's a loss. So those negative emotions or negative outlook. So it can basically be the idea that super fans have high highs and pretty low lows. So although somebody might not be a super fan themselves, but has a loved one who's a super fan, validating that this is an important part of their life, an important part of their identity. However, we can both validate someone and ask them to be in control of their emotions. Yeah. It's like when we're teaching parents about like emotion coaching, like we can validate the emotion and not the behavior. Because to me, when I hear how like pervasive the bad mood will be after a loss, what comes to mind for me is thinking about, you know, in the DSM, when we're looking at different um, diagnoses, one of the criteria is always, is this causing clinically significant distress? Is it impacting your relationships? Is it impacting your day-to-day functioning? And in this situation, it sounds like it is, which makes me really curious because like I said, I believe in a 24 hour rule. You have 24 hours to like feel your feels about it. For it to go on for days and for it to impact your marriage, for it to impact your kids, like maybe it impacts how you're interacting with people at work or it's hard to get out of bed. That to me is an indicator that there's something going on there because sports fandom is a beautiful thing. And Sarah just mentioned all of these amazing reasons why being a sports fan is actually really protective. But like, for it to then become such a negative impact on your life, that's not what it's supposed to be about. I think for me, my question would be, in addition to this, as like maybe a follow-up question would be, how is this individual outside of the sports season? So like, let's say they're, you know, a Bills fan and they, you know, get upset that there is a loss. They're upset for days, disrupting the energy in the home, et cetera, as this listener has shared with us. Are they like that outside of the football season? So is their mood completely bright and wonderful all the time? My guess is probably no, that there might be other things that are triggering this individual that might not be sports related. Um, So it just feels like there just might be some deeper things going on where the response to be that extreme from an emotional space that it's serving a purpose for them. Um, It's allowing them to feel those emotions in a different space, if that makes sense. Um, Another thing I would add as well is um, has the partner of the disgruntled spouse had conversations with them around what's happening outside of it happening, right? Like in any sort of situation, um, when we are experiencing conflict or um, tension in a relationship, it's really important that you're having these conversations 
outside of it actually happening because no one's going to be able to listen. They're not going to be able to hear it. You want it to be on like kind of neutral grounds. And so that would be a piece of feedback for this individual if they haven't done this before, trying to have more of a discussion. Like maybe it's not during football season, maybe it's in in the springtime. Like, hey, I really wanted to kind of talk to you about this and how it is impacting everyone. And it's possible then then the partner would be able to see things a bit more clearly and feel more grounded and mindful and understand the other person's perspective where when they're like immersed in the dysregulation of the loss that they're not able to see that. And so then, yes, shaming the person and saying those things isn't going to go anywhere. Nushin, as you were talking, I had another thought um, in terms of kind of the socialization in our culture between men and women and the way that we experience emotions, where I'm wondering if, you know, maybe being able to be visibly upset, expressing these intense emotions of anger or frustration or sadness, using sports or using the loss of a sports team can feel like a valid or safe place to express those feelings. Whereas in other situations, again, oftentimes men are socialized to not be as expressive about their emotions. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point, Sarah, because especially like the like anger that somebody might feel about their team losing or like the depression that someone might feel. I could see where for men, that's like so socially acceptable. Like if you like start screaming and swearing at your TV because you just lost to the Jets, which is like kind of valid you know, it's, that is okay. Whereas if you start screaming and swearing at your children, you have like a CPS report filed on you. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I, I can understand from the male perspective where, especially if this is something that's such a huge part of your identity and they lost, it's now a threat to your identity. So any underlying issues that you have outside of sports could be coming out in that way too. It reminds me a lot of one of you were talking about the, you know, the positive parts of it increasing self-esteem. You just like feel really good after a win, especially a really tough game. Like there, it does so much for you. So then when that's not happening, those feelings, those pleasant emotions aren't there. And then you're left with something else. Um, And for some people, that's just, they're not able to cope with them effectively. And so that's why, again, I mentioned for this particular question, like there's, it feels like there's other things going on that it's not just about the team losing. Um, I hope that that helps our listener. Um, so with the books that you guys read, so you guys written two different books. I'm curious if you guys, was there anything else that you found really helpful that our listeners might find interesting um, or anything else that would be helpful to bring up? One thing that I thought was, pretty interesting or pretty interesting point that was made was back to that idea of identities and community. And this idea that when we talk about sports, I know we've been focusing quite a bit on our NFL teams, but sports in general, having, again, such a variety where, you know, a golf fan is probably going to look a little bit different than a European soccer fan. And so having the identification at different levels is pretty interesting where it can go from a city level to a state level to a national level and even to a global level. So even when we get to a sporting event like the World Cup, 
having a lot of that national pride come out and that very interesting way that it works as community on so many different levels. Yeah, those are really good points, Sarah. Yeah, I agree, Sarah, that the identity piece is so big. Um, and and I like that you brought up how it can really range in terms of like, you know, your local like men's league softball team. Like my husband plays softball and he like loves his team. He's been playing on the same team for like forever. And he's like obsessed with them. So going from something that's that small, like D league softball to like when it's like the world cup and the Olympics and you have like the USA chance, you know, and it brings people together in, in different ways. And I think that that's something that there is nothing else in our culture that does that besides sports. Yeah. it's And again, it, that goes back to the sense of community, you know, and also that sense of identity. And, and those are, I think, two really important things when it comes to just being human. You know, we feel those connections with people and um, just more of a like mindfulness of like who we are and what brings us joy. Um, so did you guys have anything else to add? I hope we weren't too all over the place, but I think we hit most of what we were hoping to discuss. I mean, I know, Sarah, you had brought up some of the conflict between you and your fiance because of your opposing teams. Um, But it's nice when, you know, you have a significant other that has the same team, too. So, like, Kate, I think you and your husband are different sports fans, but you're not in the same division, at least. I mean, we are for um, baseball. Obviously, I'm a Red Sox fan. He's an Orioles fan. But, like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like we're ever good in the same year. So, like, this year, the Red Sox fucking blow and the Orioles are doing amazing my husband's like glued to the TV every time there's a game (laughs) I know it's funny like we've gone to several Orioles Orioles games this year and my husband is like oh like this is electric I'm like this is like every single game I've ever been to at Fenway Park but for him it's new which is like very exciting for me and so like we're very much like we'll watch any game that's on national TV because we have YouTube TV which doesn't have a deal with Masson. And it's because the we're worst. Having- it's the worst. It like drives my husband crazy. He's like, I need to figure out how to watch these games. And I think he's finally figured it out. We can talk about that on the side. <laughs> yeah, I need to know because my <laughs> husband is like distraught about it. Not to the point where it's a bad mood for days, but he's upset. And it's to the point where we literally might get cable next year because he's like, well, we're having a son and I need to like watch games with my son who will be, I don't know, six months old at the beginning of baseball season. But I'm like, I, like, it's that's going to be hard to like live in this area and have your team be good for once and not be able to watch the games. Like, I would be really upset. Oh, yeah. My husband's talked about getting cable just to watch because Masson, for those of you that aren't from this area is like the local um, sports network and the Orioles like basically only contract with them. It's very strange. Um, Kate, what are you guys going to do about sports fandom with your son? Is it stressful? Like just to think about it. (laughs) So for me, it makes me sad because I think my son will end up taking my husband's teams because one of the things my book said is that like your kid will take the sports team of the parent that's of like the same gender as them in like a heterosexual couple, you know? So it's like, if we had a daughter, she might become a Boston fan, but I just feel like we don't, I mean, we don't get Pats games here. We get like red zone. We don't get every Red Sox game. So we're not going to grow up watching Nesson, which is like, you know, the local 
Boston sports thing. So it's like, I think our kids will end up being Redskins and Orioles fans, but I'll just be like, you know, Boston was a dynasty for 20 years. So we have some real history. Like this is just like, you know, your local affiliate. But if you want greatness, you can always, you know, you have an app, you have a mom who's from there. So you can be a Boston fan and not be a bandwagon fan. Oh my God. I can't. (laughs) just think it's so funny. I feel like when my husband listens to this, he's going to like want to throw his phone when he hears what you just said. <laughs> it's hilarious. But it's true. It's true. I literally have a barstool sweatshirt that's like out of date, but it has like a duck boat for every year that the Bruins, Celtics, Pats, and Red Sox won. Yes. And- yes. We are aware of how great all the teams are up there. You don't need to rub it in, girlfriend. <laughs> I know. Well, I feel like I do because now it's like not the same. <laughs> so I recognize that like our our 20 year span of dominance is probably over. But it's like, I will say that like growing up in that, like the first time the Pats won the Super Bowl, I was in like fourth grade. So from fourth grade, so I was 10 to age, I don't know, late 20s. Like I had a, one of my teams winning like every other year. And like, nobody else can say that. And I just feel like that's what makes Boston sports so special to me when it kind of goes into that identity community values thing, because it's like this, there's nothing, there's never been anything like that in sports. And like, I was lucky enough to be a kid in it, which is fun. And then I got to have it in college too. So I could go to the bars and drink and have fun. So I got the best of both worlds. Truly. You definitely, I mean, being from that area, you guys have been, yes. Very lucky. And, you know, maybe it's our turn down here. We'll see. I mean, the Redskins have new owners, could be a new leaf. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, so we've got to wrap things up, but one thing we wanted to do whenever we have a guest is to ask them a question. And our question for Sarah, because we are all therapists, is what is your favorite self-care activity? And is it <laughs> is it watching the bills? <laughs> Literally, yes. I would say incredibly on brand. It is the fact that I I do not miss a Bills game. So I will always carve out time to be able to watch it, to be able to go to the Bills bar, whatever it might be, in order to to see them. Where even in their not so bright moments, I think it also offers a different kind of community in terms of kind of that adversity piece of you know, okay, we're, we're loyal here. And that's that, like we're sticking through it. So, um, I know my experience was very different than Kate, um, where I was growing up right in the middle of the 17 year playoff drought. So (laughs) this is our year. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure we're going to have you on. I know we have you scheduled in for another one, um, in a month or so, but we appreciate you and we wish the Bills good luck this year. Um, but for speak our for next- yourself. speak for yourself. I don't. I don't. I like I I respect it. I respect it. I do think the Bills will be good this year, but like I still don't, I'm not like good luck. <laughs> I'm my thinking my really body. good right now for the record. <laughs> oh man, that was great. Um So next time we are going to be talking about all things pregnancy. We thought it would be helpful with um, Kate being super prego. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a pregnant therapist, pregnancy as a client, when you're the client with a pregnant therapist, mental health, et cetera. So 
We hope that you guys tune in for our next pod. Thanks again, Sarah, for joining us. And we'll see you guys, I guess, or talk to you guys soon. Yay. Thanks for coming, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.